For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Race fans, it's time for the most famous words in motorsports. Please welcome your Grand Marshals, 2019 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee, Jack Roush, accompanied by Bojangles Senior VP of Marketing, Randy Poindexter. Gentlemen, start your engines. All right, engines fired. Another episode of the XP Podcast. Ready to go. Tyler Head, Dalton Mullinex, with you as always. Ready to talk some NASCAR playoffs. And oh boy, did we get one heck of a playoff opener on Saturday or Sunday night, excuse me, with the Southern 500. And, and typically, in Cup Series playoff races, I don't know why this is. There's always at least a couple of playoff drivers to get in trouble, whether it's a wreck, whether it's a problem on pit road. It just always seems to work out that way. But I can't think of any other playoff race where at least 75% of the playoff field got into trouble at some point over the course of a single race. Yeah, it was, I mean, of the vehicles that had issues, most of them were playoff drivers. And, you know, outside of a Talladega where everybody wrecks, um, you know, I, I couldn't think of, like you said, I couldn't think of a time where we saw that many playoff drivers have issues, um, you know, whether it be blown tires, uh, getting caught up in wrecks, mechanical issues, you named it. Some of these guys had major issues and has really kind of flipped. I mean, obviously, every week now we'll, we go into the who's below the bubble, you know, the cut line, who's on the bubble and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of flipped it for a lot. And I know we'll get that down the road, but um, wow, it was, it was a lot of, um, you know, shuffling going on Sunday night. Well, and the biggest story to come away from it, somebody who's had this amazing season but has not found his way to victory lane, goes to one of his best racetracks and finally breaks through and gets the first one of the season, Denny Hamlin winning his third Southern 500 at the end of what was a eventful week, to say the least. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. You can search for his name on Twitter if you're interested. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it was one of those you picked him, and, and I, you know, it was one of those he, he, we knew he was going to run well there. He's ran well at Darlington pretty much his entire career. And, um, yeah, he ended up – I don't want to say he stole the win from Kyle Larson. Um, I think we can both agree Kyle Larson had the best car. Mm -hmm. um, but Denny was just, you know, able to, to, able to save his stuff. And uh, when he needed to go, obviously got out in front on that final cycle. and. And it never looked back. Well, and I think this, and hats off to NASCAR once again for making this a 750 race with the low downforce because it put on one heck of a show as we knew it would. You know, and Joe Gibbs Racing, we've been talking about, they've been running good. You know, they're, they're top five speed, but they haven't been able to match that speed of the Hendrick cars. And look, I think Kyle Larson is a world-class talent, but I, I think Denny Hamlin's just a little bit better than him at a place like Darlington. So when he put those two guys head to head, you know, where the equipment necessarily doesn't matter as much, it's more about the technical driving skill against the racetrack itself. You know, Hamlin, I mean, really won straight up and they went, you know, it was a long battle for however long that final 
uh, green flag uh, run was. And I think maybe if there's a late restart and Larson jumps out in front of him, he probably goes on to wins the race. But, you know, Denny Hamlin had to put on a defensing driving clinic, and he did that. And he had to defend it all the way to the very last lap in the last corner, and he was able to hold off Kyle Larson and, uh, like I said, get his first one of the year. Um, and that, to me, creates an interesting situation because – Denny Hamlin's come close to winning so many championships. And going back to last year as well, when seven races in the regular season, makes it the final four, comes up short to Chase Elliott, obviously. And it, wouldn't it just be so interesting if he has this great regular season where he doesn't win any races, and then he just goes on this incredible playoff run and wins the championship for the first time when he maybe wasn't thought of as the favorite going in as opposed to other years? Yeah. I read a somebody tweeted it on Sunday night, and it was like, you know, what if he goes on a Tony Stewart type run where he wins five of the next 10 races? He's the champion. Obviously, he's different playoff formats. So he's got to win, he's got to win the final race in Phoenix. But look, I, I mean, it's one of those, he had been there all year long. Like you said, he should have two, three, maybe even four wins this year. I'd have for him. Um, but he's win, he's now won at the right time and he's advanced himself to the next round. We know he's going to run well this weekend. We know he's going to run well at Bristol in a couple of weeks. Look, here's an opportunity for him to take some risk and get some more playoff points and, and go for the win. You know, he may try some different stuff now that he's got the win and already advanced into the second round. Sure, and I can't think of outside of Darlington, one of his best tracks. I mean, I can't think of two other tracks he's any better at than Richmond and Bristol these next two weeks. And he's not yeah. going to go out there and get all 14 playoff points that are up for grabs. There's no reason to think that he can't get another win and maybe grab a stage or two because that was the thing is, you know, when despite running so well and finishing second overall points, he gets the 10 playoff points. He has a handful of stage wins, but that dropped him all the way down to just above the cut line once the playoffs start. Now he's got this win in the bank. Now he's out has the opportunity to build even more to put himself in a better position for the round of 12, the round of eight, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, look, that team, that team needed that win, to, um, you know, for, for many reasons and they got it done. They were able to, to, again, I don't want to say steal one, but at the end of the day, you're going to look at, you know, Darlington, the Southern 500 2021 is winners going to say Denny Hamlin. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Just go down the list of playoff drivers and just kind of go over their individual nights. Of course, Kyle Larson coming home in second. And uh, he and Denny both dominated this race. They, read up, they led almost the exact same number of laps. And it just – again, I think Kyle Larson maybe had the better car, but passing is tough at Darlington, very technical, and he just wasn't able to get up there and, uh, you know, get to Hamlin's bumper except for in the final corner. And I was amazed with the amount of ground that he made up going into that final corner – he walled it. He ran them both into the wall, and that was the only chance he was going to be to get there. But, I mean, hats off to Kyle Larson for making it interesting on the last lap. And despite not winning, he's basically got a full race over the cutoff line. So his pressure going into these next two weeks, relatively low. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, that's the thing is, is we thought, I mean, if he would have missed out, if he, he could still miss out on advancing. But if he misses out on advancing, something will have to significantly gone wrong. Yes. And the thing is, like, you can take a – you can take risks like that. I mean, you know, he could have, you know, many things could have happened. He was the only Hendrick driver that had a solid day. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just – I think it's just kind of the way it's been. It's kind of been like Kyle Larson and then everybody else this year. So, And, I mean, Kyle Larson, this is another time at Darlington where he's just come up short. 
He's finished uh, second there back in the spring to Martin Shrex Jr. I think he finished second there in the Southern 500 two years ago to Eric Jones. He's won stages there. He's come so close. And this is obviously a track that definitely fits his driving style, being this technical track that it is, but he just hasn't been able to break through and get that first win yet. Yeah, it is coming. You know, whether it's next year or the year after, he'll win there. But um, winning in the playoffs is just a whole different, you know, kind of prize. It certainly is. And when I think back to, you know, his best season prior to this year in 2017, he ends up winning the last race of the regular season there at Richmond in 2017. And he doesn't win any more races in the playoffs. And he only has one career playoff win, that being 2019 at Dover. So, again, his approach has to be a lot different this year. He's got to think, I got to win in each one of these rounds. I want to make the final four. I mean, yeah, he has to win. I mean, that's you know, he's in the he's in the car that um, you know is is arguably the best car out there right now. So you got to capitalize. Go down the next highest finishing playoff driver. That's going to be Martin Shrix Jr. in the fourth position. And an argument can be made: maybe Shrix Jr. had the second best car, maybe the best car overall on Sunday night but he has to come from the back after having a problem in the pits late in the race. And I give him credit. He blew through the field, made it all the way up to fourth. If there's a late restart, he's certainly going to be in the mix fighting for the win there. But, you know, for this has been such a weird season for Martin Shex Jr. Because he gets those three wins out of the gate early on, one of them being at Darlington. You think, oh, man, here's you know going to be another dominant season, nine wins, eight, nine wins, something like that. And then he just completely fell off once we got into the summer. And he slowly started to build that momentum back up. Had a good run in Atlanta. Obviously, has a good run here at Darlington. He's getting into the right rhythm, but he hasn't been able to break through and get to victory lane. Similarly, though, we know he's really good at Richmond this upcoming weekend. He's decent at Bristol, so I feel like these next two weeks are going to work out for him. But I think the 19 team's got to be looking at Sunday night as a missed opportunity to get to victory lane again. Yeah, but I still th- – I, I, what you said there, you know, you kind of feel like they're kind of coming up with an upswing. I agree with you. I, I feel like they're one of those teams that just – they get better as the year goes on mm-hmm. uh, kind of coming out of the gate swinging like they did was, was not um, necessarily what we, I don't want to say what we expected. We know he can win at any, at any racetrack. Um, but I look at them as another one um, that's just maybe going to peak at the right time. And it, you look, you got, it's what you got to do. Look no farther than what happened last year. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't like Chase Elliott, you know, ran through everybody during the regular season and then ran through everybody in the playoffs. I mean, I, I I would have never have thought he'd been a championship favorite, you know, had you told me that before um, the playoffs ever began last year. So the big thing is just get hot at the right time and, and running well like they did. And had they not have had that penalty, I, I bet they would have went on to win the race. I really do. I really think that. Well, he has the advantage that he's won at the two racetracks that are going to close out the regular, they're going to close out the season at Martinsville and Phoenix. So obviously, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing has got the 750 package figured out. And, of course, that's what ends up deciding the champion now. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is going to be Kevin Harvick, who finished fifth. And sad to say, this was one of Harvick's best performances of the entire season. Led some laps, led 20 laps in the night. Was up there competitively, you know, in the top five to seven. But just never really established himself as a contender to win the race which is bad because this is one of his better tracks, won two or three races there last year, but just kind of goes back to what we've been saying the entire season. Stuart Ross Racing is just missing on something that's keeping Kevin Harvick from going up there and competing for wins. Yeah, I mean, they, they considering 
what else happened to the playoff field. They had a great day points-wise, um, but still just, just not what you expect from that four crew. Yeah. Um, after that, it's going to be Kurt Busch coming home in six. And I believe, uh, was it, did he hit, he had some, did he have a problem on pit road, if I remember right? I want to say yes. Again, I remember seeing on the board this. There you know, playoff things that happened. It's hard to remember everything. Yeah. But a good solid run for them. And again, kind of in line with what the Hendrick cars have been doing, you know, good top 10 speed. Um, Got to give a shout out to his teammate, Ross Chastain for being in the mix there for the race win and finishing third there. So for Kurt Busch, you know, he's never been the guy that's going to go out there and win seven, eight races a season. But, and I've seen a lot of people make this prediction. He could certainly be one of those guys that kind of sneaks his way into the final four based off consistency by running fifth to seventh by winning a stage here, winning a stage there, and maybe picking up a win, you know, between here and the end of the season. But I just feel like he's going to be one of those guys going to fly under the radar a little bit. And then you look up and boom, he might be at Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he could, I don't, I don't think he will. I mean, I think, I believe I had him out in the first round, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the thing that's weird about him is like every year it feels like it's either boom or bust. Yeah. There's like no in between. Um, I'll group these next two guys together, Penske teammates of Brad Kozlowski and Joey Logano, finishing seventh and eighth. And, I mean, again, going back to the the Harvick thing, Ford just hasn't really had it this year at most tracks. And, you know, I, I think these two guys benefited a lot from the casualties of the other playoff drivers to get themselves inside the top ten. Logano ran better than Kozlowski for most of the race. But for the most part, an okay night for these guys, which is, I mean, what they need to do, obviously, to advance. But they're not – flexing that muscle that we've seen in years past where I consider them serious championship contenders. No, no, I agree with you. Uh, going down to Eric Amarola, who finished 16th and Eric Amarola, this has been a horrible season for him outside of that win at New Hampshire. He's somebody that definitely needs to be running up in the top 10 week in and week out if he wants to advance. Now with the problems and the other playoff drivers, he does find himself on the positive side of the cut line right now by plus three. But again, one stage can change that at Richmond. So he, you know, I, he didn't do enough for me on Sunday night to give me any confidence that he's going to be able to make it out of the round of 12. No, no. Um, I think the biggest miss of the night may have been Tyler Reddick and the fact that this is one of his, you know, better tracks, a track that really suits his driving style, that technical where you can run up next to the wall. And he was only able to muster a 18th place finish. And again, for somebody that comes in with no wins, very few playoff points, he's currently sitting above the cut line, but tied with Alex Bowman, who's below the cut line right now. So it's just kind of one of those things. This was an opportunity for him to make a big gain. He wasn't able to do it. No, and I believe – I believe – I can't – I don't remember if it was this week or if it was last week where his crew chief told him, like, look, dude, there's – the other drivers are having issues. Like, slow it down here, you know. Um, but, again, they just they, – they weren't able to muster up a, a good run when they needed it. Yep. Uh, next down the list, Christopher Bell running or finishing in the 20th position. And Bell, he had really good speed. He and Hamlin had a fantastic battle. I think it was the end of stage two for the second position. They just kept going back and forth and back and forth and running on each other's bumpers. It was a really good battle. Um, unfortunately, things kind of fell apart for Christopher Bell later in the race. And kind of similar to what we're saying about these other guys, he's somebody that doesn't have a lot of playoff points. So he has to be up there running in the top 10, getting stage points, and ultimately finishing well. And after Sunday night, he finds himself – check the standings here. Um, he, is plus, he is in right now, but plus five. 
Again, very little margin for error. He is a really good short track racer, so Richmond and Bristol can certainly play into his wheelhouse, but definitely uh, needed more out of Sunday night. Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, a, a young guy entering his first playoffs, you you want him to get out started on the right foot, but, um, you know, after having a good race, it just wasn't, wasn't there. Ryan Blaney has problems and ends up finishing 22nd. He actually led some laps, and, you know, he's kind of been – you know, the flag bearer for Ford and Team Penske these past couple of weeks with winning two races going in. But, you know, as we know in NASCAR, uh, you can get humbled pretty quickly. And then he goes to a technical track like Darlington and things just don't go his way. And he ends up finishing 22nd. But fortunately for him, because he came in with so many playoff points, he finds himself, a, I'd say, decently comfortable 22 points above the cut line. Yeah, I mean, definitely in a good spot. Um, he's got several drivers between himself and the cut line. So, I don't think he's worried too well. He should I, should be because of what happened last year. But and now we go to the guys that had disastrous nights. Alex Bowman in 26, and this kind of starts the run of Hendrick drivers here. He gets caught up in some – or he hit the wall early in the race, just had repeated problems, finishes several laps down. And, you know, this – for me, his season, oddly enough, is reminding me of Jimmy's 2017 where – Gets those three wins in like the first half of the season. And, you know, didn't really, not winning stages, not running up front really any other time. And now he gets in the playoffs and he's having problems. And I don't want to say he's going to be one of the first guys out, but it's not getting off to a hot start. Now he's going to Richmond, a track that he won at back in the spring. But after the first race, he's below the cutoff line. Yeah. Yeah, not a good spot to be. Uh, down next to his Hendrick teammate, Chase Elliott, finishing 31st. Chase had good speed. He didn't have race-winning speed on Sunday night. He ends up blowing the tire, going into turn number one, hitting really hard, similar to one of his other teammates who we'll talk about in a moment there. And, you know, just kind of unfortunately for him, it just didn't work out and, you know, has the mechanical problem there. And he's still in relatively good shape. But, you know, uh, I think he definitely could have come away with the top ten if he, he hadn't had his problem. Yeah, at least a top ten, you know, maybe even top five, but just wasn't in the cards for him. Hard hit of the night is going to go to his teammate, William Byron, though, who came home in the 34th position, kind of similarly, goes down into turn one. The car doesn't turn, goes straight into the wall, hits it really, really hard. And for William Byron, who's run very consistently this season, um, he does have a lack of playoff points for the most part, and now he finds himself nine points below the cutoff line going to Richmond. Yeah, not, not a good spot. Not a spot that I thought that team was going to be in. No, and I feel like it's almost like they peaked too early. Now, again, they had a really good regular season, and they finished relatively high in the points, but his lap leading and being a contention for wins was more prevalent earlier in the season. Of course, they got the win at Homestead at the very beginning of the season. We thought, wow, you know, could Willie B win three, four races this season? It just hasn't materialized that way. And, again, nine points is not insurmountable. That can be made up for in a stage or two. But I really think he's going to have to run in the top five because, of course, everybody else is going to be running up front collecting stage points too. So if they don't have a good Richmond, he might have to go into Bristol in a must-win scenario. Which is not what you want. No, it's not. Especially – and I would say his prowess is not short tracks, which is weird because that's what he came up doing with you know legend cars and late models. But he just hasn't quite shown that – muscle on the shorter tracks as he's done on the intermediates for the most part this year no no not at all 
Uh, going to the bottom of the barrel here for playoff drivers, Kyle Busch ends up finishing 35th after hitting the wall, and it only got entertaining from there because he – now, I'll ask you this. Do you think Kyle Busch meant to enter the garage incorrectly and run over those cones uh, in the pit lane? Do you think he did that on purpose? I mean, I don't, the, I don't think the intention was there to hurt anyone. Yeah, he was – 100% was just being a lunatic. I, I, I don't know. It's just the $50,000 fine. I'm cool with it. I'm glad that they didn't, glad they didn't find him points. Luckily, no one was hurt. Um, but it was just stupid. I mean, and that's, that's Kyle Busch. And, like, you hear people, well, that's passion. Well, driving around a, a, a heavy piece of equipment at speeds that aren't intended, that's not, that's not passion. That's, that's being an idiot. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just that's what that's my take on it anyways. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's plausible deniability there that maybe, you know, it's dark. Obviously, it's nighttime. Maybe you didn't see the cones there. Maybe, you know, we thought that was where you needed to go. So now the people jumping out of the way as he's driving through there, that's certainly not a good look. But I guess right. there's some there's some airy air of denial if he wants to, to use that. But I think, you know, using the language on television they ended up using, Again, I'm really glad NASCAR did not find him points or anything for that because we saw that ultimately kind of cost Dale Jr. a championship run in 2004. So I'm glad that didn't come as a factor. But if I'm Kyle Busch's team, if I'm Ben Bayshore's crew chief, I got to say, look, you can't cost us the championship with stuff off the racetrack. And again, some points, but it's gotten him in some hot water, obviously. And their team, they've won two races this year. They're running up in the top five. They have a real shot to make it to Phoenix and run for the championship. I would hate to see him lose that by doing something dumb once he's out of the race car. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's why, like, you know, again, like, there's, well, he's just passionate. There's other ways to be passionate about the sport, you know, getting on TV, you know, cursing up a storm just because you're mad. Like, there's bigger things in the world to be mad about. And as far as team morale goes, you know, using that four-letter word, saying he was running like crap, and that's where he deserved to finish because they're running like crap, this has been a pretty decent season for him. I don't know where that's coming from. Yeah, I don't either. He, hey, I don't know. I don't know what his problem – I mean, that's just Kyle Busch, I guess. It just, it's just dumb and it gets old. KFB. Yeah. Uh, rounding out the playoff field, in dead last place, 37th, is Michael McDowell and – Look, we both had Michael McDowell getting eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. Didn't have any hope for him advancing through these first three races. But you and I talked about this on Sunday night. If all the other attrition happens to these playoff drivers and Michael McDowell finishes like 12th or 15th, he's on the plus side of the cut line in a very good spot going into these next two races. But because he's the first driver out and he finishes dead last, he now finds himself 20 points out and in the situation this team doesn't need to be in, basically saying, okay, we got to go out and figure out how to win one of these next two races. Yeah, good luck. I mean, it's just they're, they're, they're play, not that they ever had any kind of, you know, big playoff championship aspirations, but if any they had, they're gone. Yeah. Now, it's not unrealistic to think that could he sneak a top ten at Richmond or Bristol? Maybe. I mean, we've seen teams like this uh, pull that off in the past, but I don't think he's going to be up there getting stage points. I don't think he's going to be up there leading laps. Which, again, if you're going to overcome a 20-point deficit with all these other guys that are obviously going to be running in the top 10 and getting those stage points and finishing the race up front, you're not going to be able to make up that deficit by running 12th. 
You know what I mean? Right. So right. Um, that's all the playoff drivers. And I'm going to loop back around and, again, give hats off to Ross Chastain for his incredible performance. And what a whirlwind of a season it's been for him. You know, you had the track house getting bought out. And now he gets picked up by track house and all that going on. This second half of the season for him has been wonderful. They've been running so well. And he's up there fighting with the two guys that have been the best this entire season in Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson. And I feel like I've said this about all the guys that finished in the top four. But if a late restart comes, Ross Chastain might jump up there and win this race. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really a tale of two seasons for him. And and I know that he's obviously got to be tickled to death that he's got to ride for next year and years beyond. You know, it's a multi-year deal that he signed with Trackhouse. I think Trackhouse has got to be ecstatic about what he's doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, it was a good run for him. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if he snuck a win somewhere, you know, these, these next nine races. Yeah, absolutely. Um, overall, I got to say, was this the race of the year to you? Did you think this was the best race of the season? So far. Yeah, so far. I mean, it definitely ended up doing the best on the Jeff Gluck. Was it a good race poll? You know, depending yeah. on what you read into that but but and I don't know maybe you know we've talked about rules packages ad nauseum on here for years obviously but I mean this race delivered in everything that you were expecting out of a 750 low downforce race at Darlington and for it to be a 500 mile race 367 laps there was really no lulls in the action there was something going on the entire night yeah all night long you had action all throughout the field yeah and and again for that's what this track should be. It should be this technical track that's hard on drivers, hard on equipment. And in watching Sunday night, it kind of, to me, you know, the, the Coke 600 used to be this like test of man and machine. Can you drive 600 miles? Can your equipment hold up 600 miles? I feel like the Southern 500 has now surpassed that as part of, as far as being more of a physical challenge on the drivers and equipment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a, um, it's a tough race. And like you said, not only, you have to have the endurance for 500 miles, but it's such a, such a tricky track to race at. Absolutely. More races around uh, at Darlington over the weekend. And I mean, hats off to Noah Gregson. He finally breaks through and gets his first win of the season. You picked him correctly and uh, a good week for him. He announces his extension that like literally the day after we do our podcast last week saying that we don't think he's going to be coming back. Wins at Darlington. Now he's got himself locked in the playoffs. He's riding high right now. Yeah, all it took was a contract extension to get him into get him into the uh, winners' circle. So um, maybe maybe they need to sign another one uh, this upcoming week. And it's so funny because for most of the year we've been talking about well, there's just not a whole lot of winners in the Xfinity Series this year. That as far as playoff series regulars goes, I don't know what these playoffs are going to look like. In the past two weeks, we've gotten two new winners with Justin Haley and Noah Gregson, both coming from top teams. And again, you know, as great of a regular season as Austin Cindric and AJ Elmendinger are having, all it takes is getting hot in the playoffs and one of these other guys could jump up there and win the title. So I'm really glad as we're getting down the next couple of races before they're, because uh, they have Richmond and Bristol and then they're into their playoffs. Um, you know, it, it's good that this playoff field is taking more and more shape as the weeks go by. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those you start to see, you know, the, like you said, the field come together and and who you think could make up that final four. So um, definitely going to be a fun playoffs to watch here starting in a few weeks. 
Also on this race is on Sunday uh, before the Cup Series race. The Truck Series in the midst of their playoffs, the second race of their first round. Sheldon Creek goes back-to-back, wins at Gateway, which is flat Darlington to me. And Darlington this past weekend, already locked in the second round, bought himself a couple of playoff points. My question is, where has this been the entire year? Obviously, we yeah. Darlington earlier in the spring, but you can even discount that a little bit with the melee of a wreck that happened on the front stretch late in that race. It took out a lot of good trucks. So it's like, why now that we've gotten in the playoffs, is he suddenly this dominant winning driver again? I don't know, but he's looking to repeat. That's all I do know. Yeah, well, I, I still think it's going to come down to, to him and John Hernemacek, and obviously John Hunter ended up uh, running strong there as well. But, man, Sheldon Creed, uh, red hot out of the box um, in the Truck Series playoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we've got a litany of news to talk about here. And I already mentioned briefly the, the Noah Gregson thing, signing his contract extension. And, you know, there was just such a big question mark for so many weeks. I didn't think this was going to happen because, you know, the comments that he made, you know, the way Dale Jr.'s talked about him on the broadcast, it just didn't seem like it was lining up for him to be back. But apparently he's got this great relationship with Bass Pro, Black Rifle Coffee, True Timber, um, a, a camo, you know, and if you please the sponsors, they're going to want to work with you. So ultimately yeah. I think, you know, he's run well. I don't think he hasn't run to the level that maybe the equipment calls for, but he's gotten three wins over the past two seasons. So that's certainly respectable. And hopefully as we go into a third season, Junior's Motorsports, he can pick that up even more. Well, and you, you, I mean, obviously we don't know the entire Xfinity field next year, but you get rid of Austin Sendrick, yep. uh, who, who's one of the big guys. You're going to get rid of Justin Haley. Um, I'm assuming all guys going to be back. Um, but, I mean, it could open up some wins. You know, after, um, after last year, we talked – or a couple years ago, we were like, well, who's going to replace X, Y, and Z? Well, then a guy like Chase Briscoe st- stepped up. You know, well, the same thing this year. Who's going who's gonna to replace Sendrick's wins, you know, Yep. Could it be Noah Gregson? I well, just have to wait and see. Well, that's one of those things, too. And unfortunately, in I, I'd say the past decade and a half of NASCAR, the, the thing has been to rush guys through the lower ranks. Like, all right, yeah. you want a couple truck races? Well, then I'll take you Xfinity. You want some Xfinity races? Well, it's now it's time for you to go cup racing. Really, we haven't seen too many guys get a lot of time in Xfinity to develop, to continue to get better. And I don't know what the future of Noah Gregson is in the Cup, in the cup Series is. I think he's eventually going to get there. But how much better would it be for him if he spent four years in Xfinity before finally going to the Cup Series where he can mature and, and learn these tracks and continue to get better for, I don't know, when a Kurt Busch retires, when Kevin Harvick retires, when one of these guys moves on and there's a spot for him in the Cup Series, he can go there and, and not come in um, with a low amount of knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely needs to just wait and see what happens. So, interested to see how all that works out. The schedule rumors continue to run rampant, as we have learned that next week, hopefully by the time we record next week's podcast, we will have the 2022 schedule. Things are getting interesting because, and we've talked about it before, that there was this potential of running a race at the L.A. Coliseum, and as far-fetched as that sound, it looks like that's definitely going to come to fruition and most likely is going to replace the Bush Clash. Yeah, I'm for trying it. I mean, I think it's – I do think it's a long ways to travel um, for an exhibition. But if you want to tap into that market, you know, go ahead, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I understand what NASCAR is doing here because it would coincide with the Super Bowl being in Los Angeles and, 
you know, there's that lull in between the AFC and NFC championship games and the Super Bowl because that would be the weekend that this will run. So you have the opportunity to get a lot of casual eyes on the sport. And what better product is there than short track racing, obviously. And look, it's yeah. like clamoring for more short tracks. We have to make one in the middle of a coliseum. That's totally fine with me. Um, logistics are a little bit funny. And I, I tweeted this out as people were talking about earlier in the week that, you know, NASCAR is harped on saving teams money and saving teams money. So it's kind of ironic. They're going to send them all the way across the country to run what 150 lap exhibition race or something like that, Yeah, you know, in a makeshift uh, stadium racetrack. It, it is, it yeah. is kind of odd. Yeah. I also don't, I mean, look, the next gen car is coming next year. And I don't really like the fact that it's going to debut on, wacky track that i don't know like i'm not like y'all know if you've listened long enough you know my love affair for bristol sure uh, but it's like why don't go run bristol as an exhibition i'll say this now on what is today september the 8th i feel pretty confident the next gen car is not going to run this bush clash in the la coliseum you don't uh, you don't I, think so i really think it's going to be a viking funeral for the gen 6 car that a look short track racing leads to contact this and this is like a half mile quarter mile type of track it's gonna be really short and so these guys can be bouncing off of each other there's gonna be wrecks there's gonna be spins and with all the money being invested in the next gen car these teams are not going to want to wad them up in this little exhibition race you know two weeks before the daytona 500 i'm yeah. pretty confident the next the gen six car is going to run this race they can tear it up all they want. They can wreck them all they want. And it's not going to be, you know, any bother to these teams because these cars are going in the scrap heap anyway. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We'll but see. Hope, hopefully they'll say something about it next week. I say that, and it's unfortunate that, that ends up if that ends up being the case because, again, you have the opportunity to get a lot of casual interest on NASCAR by running this exhibition race, coinciding with the Super Bowl, in L.A., all this stuff. And if you really want – to sell people on what NASCAR is, the next-gen car is something huge that people can really learn about and get invested in, but they're not going to see it in this race more likely than not. Right, right. So you're telling them, hey, tune in in two weeks for the Daytona 500 and see this brand-new car. And, like, well, why, why aren't we seeing it right now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those that NASCAR have to, and teams have to weigh the decision on if they want to, to do that or not. Now, here's an idea because you know, the logistics of driving clear across the country are a little bit odd. Um, what if teams left cars on the West Coast after Phoenix? Again, you're not preparing these cars for next year outside of this one race. What if you leave X amount of cars somewhere on the West Coast, pick them up and go take them up to Los Angeles, you know, in whatever that last weekend in January was to run this race? I mean, I, yeah. I would save them at least a little bit of money. I don't know if that's feasible, but it's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be a bad idea. Because, again, you know, you're driving literally the thousands of miles across the country to run. This thing isn't going to be more than two hours, maybe 150 laps or something like that. It's definitely, and I don't know what the payout's going to be, but definitely doesn't seem like it's worth it. No, no. But um, I will say, I mean, I, I dig the idea of running the Bush Clash on a short track more than I do the Daytona Road Course. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, speaking of the next-gen car, they've been testing down at Daytona the past couple of days, and we've gotten some really good, you know, clips and pictures and stuff like that from uh, NASCAR social media. And, you know, it looks like these cars are running well. 
in the draft and everything like that. They've been experimenting with different horsepower and different spoilers and stuff like that. And man, these cars just look really, really good on the racetrack running together. Not only do they look good, man, they sounded great too. I've seen such a di- divide with people on how these cars sound. Like some people, oh, that yeah. sounds like a swarm of bees. And other people, that sounds like the most amazing thing ever. I think they sound great too, but they're so, yeah. they're so against. And look, it's the same engine, but it's double pipe. So the right coming out of both sides, bouncing off the walls, bouncing off of the car. So it's definitely a different sound. Um, but yeah, there's so many people that are just, so against whatever this car sounds like and i don't get it some people just like to complain oh welcome to nascar exactly well welcome to life yeah right um yeah and i'm glad that you know they're putting the time into testing me i'm glad we finally have a lot of cars to test because that's been my hang-up for a long time is you know we've only seen two cars at a time test this at most at you know like charlotte and the roval and we have so many different types of racetracks that need to be tested on um, you know, why wouldn't we, you know, hopefully they continue to do this. I do like the idea that we have some preseason thunder in January, um, with more testing prior to the Daytona 500, but, you know, I appreciate the fact that NASCAR is putting the time in and trying to get this right. Because again, this is your car of the future for however many years, 10, 15, 20, whatever it is, you have to get this right. You have to get these rules packages right too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause this sets you up for the future. Right. Um, interesting feature I don't think we really knew about is uh, cars going to have a rear view cameras as opposed to the traditional rear view mirror. We saw a little clip of that um, from Chris Busher's onboard and running in the draft. And I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make, but it's, it's cool that they're embracing that side of technology. Yeah. Well, it actually, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, just, I don't know if you want it to be like the real car, a lot of the real cars have those. So, but, I mean, you know, you're still going to need your spotter and stuff like that. So, sure. uh, I think it's cool, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's I think it's great. So, interested to see how, you know, the testing continues. I, I do like the fact that we're now seeing actual paint schemes with these potential number movements. And I feel a little mm-hmm. bit better about it based on some of the ones we've seen. They don't look terrible. And I hope, you know, I just hope we get a definite like list of rules for what the numbers are going to be. So we actually know because these teams are kind of throwing out their own ideas on it. So we don't really know uh, what, what, what's what for uh, what they're going to be. Yeah. It's kind of all over the place. And, you know, I, I thought you, uh, you sent me Austin Dillon's car. I thought it looked really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Kurt Busch's car. Um, so it's just, it's one of those, it's going to see where the placement is and, how the sponsors decide they want to load up on that side of the car and go from there. Well, it's funny to me though, because the William Byron and Chris Busher's cars, they wrap them just like they do the cars they run now with, you know, numbers on the doors. And it's like the sponsorship space was like the exact same. So it's kind of, it's a little bit of a bad look for this argument that, Oh, the sponsors don't have enough room on the next gen car. It's like, no, that Exalta 24 looks the exact same as it does right now. I can clearly see what the sponsor on the side of the car is. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Hopefully, you know, with the schedule coming out and all this stuff, we kind of learn more details of what 2022 is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So, with that, we head to Richmond for the second round of the Cup Series playoffs, and the Cup and Xfinity Series both going to be in action. Both going to be racing on Saturday. Um, expanding the afternoon and the cup series at night. So as we continue on our challenge to determine our champion for this show, I'm up 22 to 14 with my win with Denny Hamlin. I'll let you go first with your Xfinity pick for Saturday. 
Okay. Um, Xfinity pick, as cool as it would be to see the number eight of Dale Earnhardt Jr. go to victory lane, as cool as it would be, he's not going to get it done. It's going to be another Chevrolet driver, maybe not one you're thinking of, or maybe one you are thinking of, Justin Haley. Okay. Ran well there in the spring. I just like where that team's at right now. Be his um, first non-super speedway win in the Xfinity Series. Yep. So kind of, kind of well out on a limb there, but I'm going to roll with it. Uh, and it's interesting you mentioned Dale Jr. being in the eight car. Sam Mayer is actually going to drive the 99 for B.J. McLeod this weekend so he can continue to run what's left of the season because this was going to be the race that he was out of. So, And I think that car is going to be a Ford, so that's kind of interesting how all that worked out. Yeah, I actually had a question about that. Is that car? I know at times this year that car has been prepared by Stuart Haas. Uh-huh. Is that car going to be prepared by Stuart Haas? I would imagine not. Um, they're not. I highly doubt that team gets factory support from Ford. So it kind of similar to like, not to this degree. They're not this bad. But like Norm Benning doesn't get anything for driving the Chevy in the trucks. It's literally just a badge on the car. It doesn't mean anything. Um, so then I think that's kind of what makes these cars flexible to have a Kevin Harvick come down and run, you know, a road course in the Xfinity series where you can prepare for Stuart Haas. They're, you know, they're not factory cars, so to speak. So, um, I think he's literally going to jump in the 99. Like, I don't think it's going to be anything special or anything weirdly prepared. Certainly not going to be prepared by junior motorsports if it's a forward. Um, I just think if anything, it's just a wait to get him in this race. So he's not missing it. Yeah. Um, what you said about Justin Haley, uh, kind of similar with my pick here. I like where this team's at right now. Came very close to winning at Darlington on Saturday. I'm going to go with Harrison Burton in the 20 car. Yeah. Jumping to Saturday night, second race of the Cup Series playoffs. And for Denny Hamlin, who won at Darlington on Sunday, if you have to pick a second-best track for him, it might very well be Richmond. Can he back it up and get a win at his home racetrack? I think he's going to run well, but it's this other guy's home race track that I'm going to roll with, Martin Truex Jr. I think, you know, we were talking about a little bit earlier how – there you go, you got it. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about how they need to start kind of getting things back on the up, and I think that they take a big swing at it this weekend. I'm going to stick in the Gibbs camp. I'm going to go with Kyle Busch, similar to Denny Hamlin, runs extremely well at this racetrack. I gotta imagine Sunday night's got him fired up. So if Kyle Busch is pissed off, look out the rest of the field. He's going to one of his yeah. best racetracks. I think he gets the win on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, should be exciting. Definitely should be, and uh, you know we'll be back next week to hopefully talk about that. Talk about the 2022 schedule, and uh, you know look ahead to the next eight races as the season comes to an end. Yep. So for Dalton Mullinex, I'm Tyler Head. Thanks for listening to the Upspeed Podcast, and we will catch you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.